from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Good morning, all, and welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Here with you this morning on a beautiful Monday morning in December 18th. It is coming off of not only G-Mama's birthday on Friday, which is December 15th, but also my great-aunt Dorothy's birthday, who was yesterday, December 17th. So, happy birthday to both of you. Thank you both for all your love all your positivity, your happiness, and always bringing joy to other people's hearts and to their minds. Thank you for that. And may you be having a good time and and enjoying heaven. I feel like they got dressed up, put some nice dresses on. It's kind of like Great Gatsby, you know. I feel like they dressed up, they went out, they went dancing, they had a good time, probably shopped a little bit and enjoyed themselves. So I love you, Great Aunt Dorothy, and I love you, Grandma. And, of, of course, all my love to all my grandparents in heaven and, um, you know, my gammy, my, my, uh, three G pops and my great aunt Meg and, and everybody that said, there's a lot of great ones from our family that are up there right now. So a lot of angels, a lot of people watching over and I love you and I miss y'all. So God bless and happy today. In the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York. In uh, <laughs> It's just, it is. I have to take a step back sometimes. I really do. And, and just uh, realize what matters. And realize who you love and, and why you love them. So, God bless to you all. <laughs> it's just, it's been tough. It's been tough. It's been very tough. When you miss people, especially the good ones, you know. The good ones make it make it all the more harder. It's, it's you know, missing the not-so-good ones, that's, that's an easy job. But missing the good ones, that's tough, so. I love you all and I miss you all. And I thank you all for, for riding with me through this. You know, this is, it, it has, it's, this has been a really tough time in my life. And I thank you all for being good to me and, uh, and just, you know, just, just being a part of the show and just caring and I appreciate it. I really do. goes a long way. So in the morning menu, Proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. It is the home of the Dan Tortora Special, Belgian waffle cut in half, bacon, egg, and cheese inside. Voted top five in CNY. Make sure you go out and get yourself one. The Dan Tortora Special, Belgian waffle cut in half, bacon, egg, and cheese inside of it. My spin on the breakfast sandwich. And it is available to you every single day. Monday through Saturday for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and on Sunday up until 2.30 because they close early on Sunday. So get yourself over to the Market Diner and try yourself the Dance Taurus Special today. Thank you so much for everybody that has. I truly appreciate it, and I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show in all the ways that you are, including going and getting 
the Dan Satora special at the Market Diner. In the morning menu, this is where we give you the list of topics that are coming up on the show today. We're going to start the show off with what's what went on over the weekend. What do we take away from the weekend and how did the weekend go? We might have a special guest coming on here in the first hour as well. But we're going to go through the weekend in sports first and foremost. And we're going to start with something that was extremely controversial that happened in the NFL. And of course it happened around the Patriots because they always seem to have controversial calls go their way at the 11th hour. So we'll discuss the Patriots and all that is the Patriots in just a few minutes. We will also get into, in the second hour of the show, a breakdown of of every single player on Syracuse's basketball team. All eight of the players, Howard Washington Jr. to Marek Dolezal to Barama Sidibe, Pascal Chugwu, O'Shea Brissett, Matthew Moyer, Frank Howard, Tyus Battle. We will go through each and every single one of these gentlemen and discuss everything that's uh, that's been going on with the team through 10 games. They're 9-1. And they won over the weekend. So we're going to spend the second hour of the show from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Breaking down each of the players, what I've taken away from each of them from covering the team. As well as what I've taken away from the team as a whole so far. So you don't want to miss that to all my Syracuse fans. Make sure that you're hanging out with me throughout the entire show. And know that in the second hour, we're going ham on Syracuse basketball from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. So that is your morning menu proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street and in Syracuse, New York, in the regional market across from Destiny, USA. I thank you for listening into the show, and now it is time to discuss those Patriots and how things always seem to go in their favor. Do they not? Do things always seem to go in the favor of the New England Patriots? I feel like things just happen to work out with the Patriots, and, I mean, it... it, it always, right? Always. So my wife told me yesterday, she goes... Oh, the Patriots, what's happening? I was like, oh, they're, they're playing for first place in the AFC. They've been biting at the heels of Pittsburgh all season, and they're going to face off against each other, and whoever wins this game is going to automatically take first place of the AFC side of things. And she was like, oh, the Patriots will win. She said, you know, you know they'll win. You know they will. Because this will put them in a position where they'll be in first place. They're playing the first place team. There's no way they're going to lose this game. And she was absolutely right. And most people feel this way now. And this is a thing that's an issue is that when the Patriots are playing games where they have to win for, you know, X to happen, doesn't it always happen? Doesn't it always work out in the favor of the Patriots? Well, Dan, they didn't win every Super Bowl they've been in. Yeah, that's true. They didn't win every Super Bowl they've been in, but they're coming off a Super Bowl where a team literally looked like they all took a sleeping pill in halftime when they played against up against the Atlanta Falcons the Atlanta Falcons had wreaked so much havoc against them they had made the game so embarrassing that the Patriots need not even come out in the second half because they're going to get totally annihilated and they won the game the Patriots won the game yeah and they had to make some heroic plays but they won the game And we always beg the question, are the Patriots really that good? Or do things just ironically seem to work out? (laughs) Things that just kind of work in their favor. 
all the time. Rules that seem to be interpreted a certain way for the Patriots, and maybe not another way when it's somebody else. So I'm gonna I'm watching the touchdown in the studio right now. I'm taking a look at the touchdown right now that we're gonna discuss. And this is the Jesse James touchdown. So he catches the ball a yard in front. Now it looks like his knee goes down though. It looks like his knee goes down, but he's not touched. You have to remember that. So he wasn't touched. And he crosses the goal line with the ball. I mean, it's a clear touchdown. This is a clear touchdown. The thing with Golden Tate, I watched Golden Tate's like 150 times. Because Golden Tate's uh, touchdown that was called back against the Falcons, that one was really hard to see. But, I mean, this guy clearly crosses the goal line. Jesse James, he crosses the goal line. There's 28 seconds left in the game. You look at this. He hits, crosses. I mean, he made a football move. He put the ball over. I mean, this is this is not like he threw the ball <clears throat> out of the end zone. Now, the funny thing is, later on in the day, the Dallas Cowboys were in a position uh, trying to win the game against the Oakland Raiders, and the Raiders were charging back, and Derek Carr got around the edge, and he got close, and he was within five yards of the touchdown, and he sprinted forward, and he just outstretched his hand with the ball, and he's holding on to the ball, and it goes out of his hand and it stays in bounds and it goes into the end zone and that's a fumble and a touchback for the Cowboys so it's not a touchdown because he wasn't he didn't cross the goal and he lost the ball but here's the thing and this is why I bring it up he was going with the ball he put the ball he tried to put the ball over the goal line and he lost control of it and that was considered a fumble so even if Jesse James is considered to not have complete control it's a fumble that he recovered in the end zone he caught the ball, he turned, he crossed the goal line with it. Yeah, his knee looks like it went down, but he crossed the goal line with it. He crossed the goal line with the football. Crossed the goal line with the football. Then as he is down on the ground, the ball bobbles a little bit, which would have been him recovering his own fumble, which is a touchdown in the end zone. The rules This is it's, it's just utter insane. I'm looking at the rules right now. So Let's look at the rules. So, there's a, there's a bunch of different options. And this is crazy. So, there's the Kelvin Johnson rule. Too much for interpretation. And Carenti, who was the official who ruled on this, made the statement that... Jesse James, the tight end for the Steelers, didn't survive the ground. The ball moved slightly as he hit the ground. But independent of the rule book, it's clear that James caught the ball only for it to budge slightly as he leaned forward as he tried to push ahead of the plane. Runners can score touchdowns just by flashing the ball over the plane in the goal line. Yep, this is why the rule doesn't make any sense. 
Receivers currently need to complete their catch to the ground to become runners and qualify for touchdowns. Yeah, this makes no sense. This makes absolutely no sense. And you have to make a football move. He turned his body toward the end zone. And this is the thing that I don't understand. What in the hell is a football move, okay? Because the last time that I checked, the last time that I was involved with any of this, covering this sport for, God knows, I mean, over 14 years. Over 14 years as a professional, but even more beyond that. To, <laughs> to look at this, what is a football move, right? What is a football move? To me, a football move is when you catch the ball, right? A, a receiver catches the ball and they turn up field with the ball. They turn with the ball. They catch the ball. They turn. I used to do the one, two, three. Boom, right? The three steps. Catch the ball. Boom, boom, boom. It's a catch. You did three steps. One, two, three, Mississippi. You got the ball. Three steps. You're in. It's a football move. Because I, for the life of me, for the life of me, I can't understand the Kelvin Johnson rule that turned into the Des Bryant rule that turned into now the Jesse James rule. None of these make any sense. You catch a touchdown, it's a touchdown. You make a football move. I caught the ball, I turn up field. I caught the ball, I turn up field. You know, it's one thing if I catch the ball and I turn and it goes flying out of my chest. And that's not what happened in this game. Then it's an incomplete pass. I mean, this to me, I've been dealing with what is a football move for years. And the question is, it's it's up to such vague interpretation that anybody can get away with this. Oh, that wasn't a football move. I don't think it was a football move. It didn't look like a football move. To me, you have to have irrefutable evidence. You have to have irrefutable evidence. And to me, I don't think they have irrefutable evidence. I really don't. I really don't feel like people... Not in these. Not in Golden Tate. Not in Des Bryant when he played up against the Packers in the playoffs. Not in this game. You need irrefutable evidence. And if I'm watching... The only thing that I'm seeing in this game is that his knee goes down. That's the only thing I'm seeing is that his knee goes down. But if I catch the ball and I fall in the open field and nobody touches me, it is an open game. If there's nobody in the field to touch me, in the NFL, in the NFL, the ground does not stop the play. The ground does not tackle you, so to speak. If I'm a receiver and I catch a pass and I fall down in the middle of the field and nobody touches me from the other team, I can get up and run for a touchdown. So Jesse James catching the ball and his knee going down, he's still moving. And nobody has touched him. Nobody has touched him. And he made a football move and he crossed the plane. All he had to do was cross the plane. He caught the ball, he turned his body, he put it over the plane. It's a clear touchdown. It is a clear and present touchdown. So, I mean, I don't know how to have this conversation. Without without stating the obvious, 
The Patriots always seem to get away with murder. They always seem to get away with murder. And to me, it's just, this is sick. It's sick. It's sick. It's unpleasant. It's wrong. But they get away with it. And who's going to stop them? The NFL? (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) And I'm not saying that the Patriots are bad. And I'm not saying Bill Belichick's bad. And I'm not saying that Tom Brady isn't talented. I'm saying these games just... Whenever it comes down to, oh my gosh, the Patriots are about to lose. What ends up happening, folks? What ends up happening, folks? What's going down, folks? Watch the game. Watch this game. When games like this happen, and what are people going to say to me? Well, Dan, that they, you know, the, the Steelers shouldn't have let them get as close and da 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 and this thing. The thing is, the Patriots are a good team. They are a good team. So they're going to do good things. They are a strong team. They're going to get the job done. They're going to do some really good things. They are going to come back. But when you have help like this, when you have help like this, just look at that. You're taking a good team who's capable of coming back if you just give them a little pick-me-up. You just give them a little oomph. That's all you have to do is show them a little and they'll be fine. You just give them a little and they'll go to work. And that's what happens. That is what happens in these games. You give them a little and they take and they take it from you. Look at what they've done. Look at what they have done. I'm being clear with you folks. The Patriots are a very good team with a very good head coach and a very good quarterback. Their defense is kind of subpar, but it's been that way forever. They just find ways to win games. But when you give them these opportunities, when you give them these little pieces, when you give them these little moments, I understand Ben Roethlisberger still had to throw the interception. I understand that the Patriots still had to be up 27-24. I understand that things happen like that. But when you give a team, because that's the thing is people say, are the Patriots cheating? Are they not cheating? Is this this or is this that? And this is what I have to say about that. This is my clear and present thing that I can tell you is that the New England Patriots being as good as they are when you give them plays like this it's what they need it's what they need you give them a play like this it's what they need it's what they need that's all it is it's what they need because they're good enough to stay in pretty much every single game So when you take a play away like this and they're good enough to be in every single game, look at what happens. Look at what happens. They have to do their side, which is compete. And then when the officials give them a little pick-me-up, that helps out. When the officials give them a little pick-me-up, that helps out. They're good enough to stay in the game. They're good enough to make it close. They're good enough to compete with anybody. And when you provide for them a play like the one that was taken away from Jesse James, you secure them. You secure them. Because, again, but but it's, it's just enough to be slight. It's just enough to have the argument. It's just enough to say, but did it really happen, Dan? It's just enough. Because, again... Ben Roethlisberger still had to throw the interception. He still had to throw the interception. 
So this is the part that, that it boggles the mind because Ben Roethlisberger still had to make a mistake. The Patriots were still had to be up by three. It's a, it's, it's just, it's, it's this sick, intricate, like uh, Illuminati. When people are like, are, are they, are the Illuminati real? Can we see them? Is it just a hoax? Is Jay-Z a part of it? All this stuff. Here's the thing. When it comes down to it, when it comes down to it, it's just enough that you can't say, well, that won the game for the Patriots because what's Bill Belichick going to say? No, the interception that we had won the game. The interception that we had two plays later, that won the game. That's how we won the game. But that Jesse James touchdown holds, you're down. Okay? You're down. You're playing from behind. With 28 seconds left in the game. You're playing from behind. So no, that interception didn't win the game. What won the game for you was the Jesse James touchdown that was overturned. And if I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I'm beside myself. But you know what the rest of the NFL is telling you? I told you so. They're telling you, I told you so. The rule needs to change. The rule needs to change because the rule doesn't make sense. You have to survive the ground. You have to this and that. Yada, yada. As soon as a running back gets handed the ball, it's it's balls in play, right? As soon as the running back gets handed the ball, the ball's in play. If the running back gets handed the ball and he drops it, it's a fumble. Immediately. As soon as he gets the ball, the ball's in play. As soon as a receiver gets the ball, the ball's not in play unless the official for that game in that moment at that time thinks it's in play. That makes absolutely no sense. That makes absolutely no sense. Your skill players are treated totally differently. If a run, if I'm in the backfield right now and Ben Roethlisberger hands the ball off to me, the ball's in play. The ball is in play. I'm in possession of the ball. As long as I have that ball from the moment that he hands it to me, it is in play. If I drop it, it's a fumble. If I pick it up, guess what? It's my possession. If I ran, if if Ben Roethlisberger handed me the ball in this game at the 40-yard line and I took that ball and I ran it and I fumbled it on the one-yard line and recovered it in the end zone, it is my 40-yard touchdown. It's my touchdown. It's my, I'm sorry, it's my 39-yard run and my one-yard touchdown, but it is mine. It is my possession. I ran with the ball for the moment he handed it off. The ball was in play, and if I fumbled it and picked it up in the end zone, it's a touchdown. Jesse James catches the ball, turns his body, crosses the plane, and it's not a touchdown. And it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. If Jesse James had ran the ball, lost control at the goal line, and fell on it like he did, it's a touchdown. It's a touchdown. If he was a running back, it's a touchdown. If he was a running back in the backfield off of a handoff, it's a touchdown. So the question is, how can these rules apply when if you're a running back, it's a touchdown, but if you're a wide receiver, it's not a touchdown. If you're a wide receiver, you didn't recover the ball. Tell me he didn't catch this ball. Tell me he didn't catch this. Tell me he did not catch this pass. Grab, take, turn. Tell me he didn't have possession of this ball. Grabs the ball out of the air, tucks it down, turns it, and crosses it over the goal line. 
If this was the New England Patriots, that was a touchdown. If this was the New England Patriots coming back in a game against the Steelers, that's a touchdown. And that's the issue that you have to come to terms with. If the New England Patriots, and listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going up crazy just because they're in Massachusetts doing a witch hunt. I'm not trying to say that. This isn't Salem over here. I'm just stating an obvious fact, okay? It's gotten to the point in the NFL that if you talk to players from other teams, I'm sure you'll find some people. I'm sure you can find 3, 4, 5, 10, 20, 50 people that are going to say to you, the Patriots get some extra calls. The Patriots get some extra plays. The Patriots always seem to be okay. I would venture to say... That you will find somebody that would tell you, yeah, if it's the end of the game and the Patriots are playing, they'll be okay. The explanation, quote, as he hit the ground, the ball began to roll and rotate. And the ball hit the ground, and that's the end of it at that point. That was the explanation. That was the explanation. I'm watching it again. I've literally watched this like 12 times already this morning. Catches, football move. It's a touchdown. This is a touchdown. He crossed... As soon as you cross the goal line, it's a touchdown. As soon as you cross the goal line, it's a touchdown. I mean, it's clear. He had possession. He made a football move. He crossed the goal line. I don't give a crap about the ground after the fact. I don't give a crap about the ground after the fact. The the ball hit the ground and it rotated. Who cares? He already crossed the goal line. He had already crossed the goal line. If I, as a running back, once again ran and just put the ball over the goal line, just held the ball over the goal line, just that's all I did, just boom, over the goal line, then it's a touchdown. If all I did as a running back was poke the tip of the ball over the goal line, just the tip, right over the goal line, boom, got it. It's a touchdown. It's a touchdown. How many balls have hit the pylon? And that is questionable, and you're like, well, it's a touchdown. As long as the pylon falls and it looks like they got it inside of the pylon, what that's a that to me that's a tougher call to call. It's a touchdown. Once you cross the goal line with possession of the ball, it's a touchdown. And if he lost possession after scoring the touchdown, he recovered it. And why in the hell would the I mean, look at the Patriots. Look at the Patriots players. They're not celebrating after he gets this pass. They're literally like, "Oh, jeepers, Christmas! Like we just gave up a touchdown." They're not celebrating. They're like, whoa, 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 what happened? Whoa, 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 what, what, what was that, Bubber? You know? <laughs> they literally look confused and dismayed. The one guy that, that touches them down looks like crap. We just let a touchdown get in with 28 seconds to play. Nobody's over here cheering. Nobody's over here ecstatic. But Billy Belichick got another call his way. Another call his way. It's like Michael Jordan never committed any fouls. Michael Jordan never fouled out of games because Michael Jordan did no wrong, because Michael Jordan was Jesus, because Michael Jordan was perfection. That's how some officials treated him. Michael Jordan, he didn't foul out of games. 
I would venture to say that he fouled out of one to three games in like five years. Well, Dan, he's just really good at not fouling people. Really? Because he pushed Byron Russell out of the way to hit that shot against the Jazz. He literally grabbed by, he shoved Byron Russell. He pushes him with his hand, get out of my way, and then he shoots the shot. Well, Dan, that's just tenacity. That's just toughness. No, that would be a foul. That would be a foul. In today's basketball, that's like a flagrant one. Today, if I tap somebody with my pinky, it's a flagrant one. Today, if I look at somebody strange, it's a flagrant one. Or maybe a two. If I if if my brain says, I think I'm going to try to block the shot, I get called for a foul. That's how, I mean, that's how fouls are called these days. There's no physicality in the game anymore. Look at college basketball. If you're a shot blocker, Pascal Chukwu, Barama Sidibe, how many times do you get called for fouls? How many times? And you know what? It's a perfect scenario because we're going to get Brian Kersey, the coordinator of ACC officiating, to come out and talk about fouls right now in just a moment after this fast break. This is a wake-up call fast break. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvalanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. DrysigLady.com, D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, Lady.com. With the bamboo line, relaxed fit clothing, as well as the athletic fit clothing, DrysigLady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, Command yourself to feel comfortable in Dreisig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Lady.com. For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, DreisigLady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, lady.com. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513, or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name. So give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell them your name one more time and... 
that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. The Market Diner prides itself on bringing the local community fresh ingredients that are better than going elsewhere. Open for breakfast, served all day, lunch and dinner with daily specials. The Market Diner is located at the Regional Market on Park Street, right across from Destiny, USA. For takeout, call 315-474-5247. The Market Diner. Local. Fresh. Better. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT here in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York, and the regional market across from Destiny, USA, and the home of the Dan Tortora Special. Get my spin on the breakfast sandwich at any time during the day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner over at the Market Diner. Voted top five in Central New York, thanks to all of you. So much appreciation for the love and much appreciation for you getting out to a great local company that helps Central New York tick. So I appreciate that. At this point in the morning menu, I am live with Brian Kersey, the ACC men's basketball coordinator of officiating. And from going from the officials call in the NFL game to discussing fouls that are called in college basketball and the changes in college basketball, I made a complete positive and easy transition into Brian Kersey on total mistake. Brian, how you doing today? I'm good. How you doing? <laughs> I don't do outdoor sports. <laughs> And all I can say to you is, are are you happy that you didn't become an official in the NFL? That's what I have to ask. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm glad all my stuff is indoors. I'm glad I don't have to worry about football fields or baseball stadiums or any of that. I just worry about 94 by 50. It makes it easy. And in worrying about 94 by 50, like you said, how, how have things been? I mean, you and I spoke off the air a little bit about this, but how have the first few weeks been, first you know, 10, 11, 12 games for teams, Hey, how how has how has your office been? Have you been handling a lot of calls, or has it been a little bit quiet? No, it's actually been quiet. But you know, all the teams are winning. You know, the league is the league is loaded. The league is so good, and uh, the teams are winning games that they're supposed to win. Um, they're beating people. They're you know national nationally ranked. You know, the teams are playing so good. The coaches are doing unbelievable jobs with really really young teams, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so it's it's been uh, quiet. You know, we've had some upsets. Absolutely, we're going to always have those. But come December thirtieth, you know, as everybody knows, half of our team start to lose. <laughs> so, so I know attitudes change. But you know, we're off to a good start. The guys are doing pretty good. You know, we have we missed plays. Absolutely. You know, the sad part is uh, I've watched every game. You know, um, either. Uh, on an iPad, or or I have four TVs sitting here in my office in Newport News uh, on the wall. So I mean, it's been we have nine TVs in uh, Greensboro. So Paul Brazo and myself have been, and Lee Butler from the ACC office have been real busy, you know, watching all these games. And you know, it's different on this side because you, I mean, I actually root for our teams. <laughs> you know, all the time it used to be when I was on the floor, I didn't care who won. You know, now. You know, you want to see all our teams win. You want to see all the referees do well. And when you're watching some of these games, like you said, you've seen every single game. I want to get into the game that happened over the weekend with, because I know you have the coalition and the connection with the Big East and the ACC Big East game, this matchup that used to be just a traditional Big East between 
Georgetown and Syracuse. The game was played in Washington, D.C. for the uh, Hoyas home, and it looked like coming down the stretch. Now, Syracuse came back, and they tied the game, and they pulled off the victory in overtime, and at the same time, it, it looked like there were a lot of a lot of calls underneath that were allowed to just play out. I mean, it, there, there were plays, usually when you get an offensive rebound under the basket, and you got a bunch of guys going after that rebound, and you come up from that C with the ball to try and go and score, there's hands that come down upon you. A lot of the calls that maybe could have been, in my opinion, from my viewpoint, I know I'm not an official, nor have I spent years on the court doing this, but did you, when you go back and you watch that game, did the referees, in your opinion, let the game kind of play out a little bit more than than call everything under the basket for Syracuse-Georgetown? Uh, you know, I've gone back and watched it. Actually, you know, I watched the last five minutes of it. Um, and, and honestly, I, I think we had really good plays made. I mean, is there bumping? Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's differences in legal defenders and illegal defenders. You know, you know, both of those teams have such good, long, big men that, you know, plays happen and referees have good looks. And, and does the game play out? Absolutely, it plays out. But you know, I, th- I think, a- as you noticed, you know, we had a whistle as the right after the horn uh, went in that game, you know, but it was late. So to, to say that it, it was playing out, uh, would I would think legally it played out and the, and the kids just make plays. I mean, the kids are – these players are so athletic that it, it, it uh, doesn't make sense to see plays that they, they can make now. now. And, and I think that's what happened at the end of that game. At both ends of the floor, I think that's a great – phenomenal rivalry that that uh, has been you know I'm glad to see it back going at it and, and I think those kids knew about the rivalry and, and both teams wanted to win and you know it was just depending on who made the next play and when we look at that speaking with Brian Kersey ACC coordinator of men's basketball officiating uh, Brian when when you look at that that call that was at the end now there was a question of you know it, for the people around me the question was okay was that was that a foul that was called late with Syracuse under the basket? Was it called on Georgetown, or is it something that when Syracuse, you know, went after the ball in that final seconds, was it a foul called on them? And you know, ultimately, with the buzzer sounds and like you said, the whistle's blown. This is a very dicey situation because this is where an official essentially becomes the third team, so to speak. The the worrisome area of if you call a foul and time has expired, whoever you put on the line there's going to be no response for the other team so if there's a foul and you put them on the line with no seconds on the clock no time on the clock then all they have to do is make one free throw and whether it's Syracuse or Georgetown they win I would imagine that an official would not want to be in that situation well in today's world with today's rules you can't shoot free throws with no time on the clock you know if a play happens at the same time as the horn the the, foul happens at the same time as the horn the, the game is over. So uh, the, the time would have to be put back on to the clock, you know, whatever that was. This was – this play was – I think this is a play where all the all the players hear the, the horn blow and kind of take a deep breath, and that, that's what ends up causing this. And But uh, you, you can't shoot anymore with zero seconds on the clock. So, you know, that, that wouldn't have, have, have uh, come into play. Now that rule change, you know, because for uh, for a typical fan, I feel like you know they wouldn't know that. There was a lot of confusion and a lot of concern, a lot of worry when 
when that whistle was blown. So just speak to that rule and how important it was to have that rule. I mean, in your opinion, was that a necessary rule that you kind of couldn't believe wasn't already in existence, knowing that if if that rule's not in place, you know, you could have no time on the clock and somebody, all they have to do is go to the line and, and, and cash in one time out of two. Is this is this an, a necessary rule that you were kind of surprised wasn't there prior to? Well, th- this rule came in more or less when replay came in and when our belt packs came in. You know, the belt packs that we wear uh, are ta- have, a, have a wire that's attached to our whistle, and as soon as we blow the whistle, the clock stops instantaneously. So that is a rule that has, has come into our game since all of this technology was here where we can go look at stuff and we can go go and our belt packs are supposed to stop it so it's a great rule um it's one that probably uh really was in it before uh but we just never really administered it properly we always thought that the whistle came before the horn and we didn't have tenths of a second you know back in those days as well so it would always just be zero so now you know so much has changed technology wise uh clock wise that this rule has, has been around and, and, you know, we don't want to end the game with, with nobody lined up and, and somebody shoot a free throw to win or lose the game when they played 40 minutes to do everything. So that's why all of this came into play and technology helps it. It benefits the players. It benefits the coaches. It benefits the officials big time with that belt pack on. Speaking here with Brian Kersey, ACC coordinator of men's basketball officiating. And Brian, I know you said it's been quiet, you know, there's a lot of non-conference games going on so far, not too much going on in conference, but I know you said you watch the games and you get excited about it because you're you're sitting in a seat right now where you can appreciate it and you're not on the floor where, you know, impartiality has to come into play and you obviously can't have a team that you favor when you're on the floor. So to be able to watch it on an iPad now and, and see these games, Duke played up against Boston College and, and just as a sheer fan of sports, I mean, Boston College won two games last season in the ACC. They were 2-16. and 16. By far, the last few years, the worst team, 15 of 15, in the ACC. They're 50% of the way to their win total in the ACC from last year. And it just so happens to be a victory over Duke, who was 11-0 at the time, number one ranked team in the country, who was virtually untouchable to a lot of people, one of the best, if not the best, freshman classes that have come in how exciting was that game for you not from the official seat but just for being a fan of basketball in general uh, it was great to watch you know they played they played unbelievable you know they have two very good guards uh, that shot the ball lights out um, I had you know I was fortunate to have uh, the, the probably the last time that they beat Duke at 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 uh, Conti Forum you know when they had Tyrese Rice and those guys and they beat them at home, the atmosphere for that game at BC is phenomenal, and uh, you know Jim Christian's an unbelievable coach. I've sat in his practices, I've sat in his meetings, and to listen to him and to watch his players look at him, you know, and and take heed. You know, they ran plays. You know, they ran. They he set up plays. You remember the play what they ran out of the timeout with the you know when the game was late and they had the alley oop dunk and you know plays like that that you 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 don't even think of as a fan that's getting ready to happen. And then these kids make these plays. I can't reiterate enough how talented the kids are in this league, but you know, if, if they play like that, 
you know, they're, they're going to beat some people. I mean, they're, they're very, very talented. When Hawkins went down, you know, everybody thought, you know, something would, would happen when Deontay Hawkins, their big man, fifth-year kid, went down. But these kids have stepped up, and, you know, that was a great win. Duke played, you know, didn't play bad. Duke shot the ball, you know, halfway decent except from three. And, and uh, Boston College just one-upped them. And, and at the end of the day, you know, as a fan – of the league and as a, a fan of college basketball, it's, it's fun to watch. Now, Brian, before I let you go, a, a couple questions, and one of them having to do, like you just brought up, um, you know, made a few threes on Duke's side. The three-point shot, I mean, there's guys, Syracuse played two teams back-to-back in Maryland and Kansas where they had one guy, Kevin Herter, of Maryland hit seven threes, and then in their very next game against Kansas, they played Devontae Graham, who hit seven threes. And to play that back-to-back, you know, at least in my mentality, you're probably not going to win both of those games. You'd be lucky to split in those games when somebody is, is that much on fire from that position if there's good play underneath and whatnot. If you're in close games like that, you're going to maybe squeak by one but struggle with another. Is there a thought of, dare I say, moving that three-point line and, and making it even more difficult because of the fact that there has been some very, very amazing athletes from beyond the arc in the, in, in now and in the not-too-distant past. I mean, the last few years, we've seen some pretty amazing talent come through. Is there a thought of, or would you like to see, it get a little bit more difficult for three-point shooters? You know, I'll be honest with you. I like the game just as it is, and I wish, uh, I hope that we don't continue you know, keep putting rule changes in because I think that we need to let everything play out. I think the three-point shot is an exciting shot for our fans. I think it's an ex- exciting shot for a, a 10-year-old on the playground, you know, who's watching these guys play. I mean, look at what Battle did Saturday against Georgetown. I mean, it, I think it. I think it's – I think our game is perfect because if you move that thing back, now you're going to have to widen the lane. Now you're going to change how the post play goes. So if we, you know, you start moving lines, then I think it, it, it now it's it's going to change everything inside as well as outside. And I think, you know, they're going to shoot 30, 35% for the year. They start shooting 50% from there, you know, maybe it's different. But, you know, I'd like to see it left as it is. I think that t- each team has somebody that can, can fill it up from out there. And uh, I think we need to just let them play out and, and see what happens. Now, when you say that you like the game uh, the way it is, Brian, you and I have discussed how things have changed over time and, you know, fouls uh, seem to be more frequently called. It seems like a lot of these games can't just play through and, and, and let some of the physicality kind of dominate and take over and whatnot. Seeing the game in its evolution, to go, let's say, a decade ago, let's say we go 10 years back, how much do you feel it's changed in a decade? Uh, it, it's opened up tremendously. Um, it's changed, it, but but our league has has changed as well. We, you know, you bring in a Syracuse who plays the zone, uh, and they don't foul. You have a Virginia. You know, my last couple of years, I wanted the Virginia Syracuse game because they didn't run as much. You know, you got in a half court game. They ran when they could, but you know, our game has opened up so much. It's become a freelance game. The bigs now can get the ball on the block and have space to do something. The guards can can be on the wing and make a move to the basket when everybody gets out of the way. You know, we put the arc in underneath the basket, which stops people from sitting there, you know, cherry-picking on defense. 
and I, I think our game flows easier. You know, the ACC, honestly, and on a national level, level is not at the the number of foul, the average number of fouls being called across the country. I mean, we're 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 down. I mean, we're in the middle of the pack. Don't get me wrong, and and everything, everybody's separated by one or two fouls, but. You know, I think our game flows well, and I think our coaches have adjusted to it tremendously. They get new kids come in and keep their system in, and the coaches now teach it as a more of a flowing game. And, and I think that helps the physicality. You know, we don't have the the rough bumping, you know, that we had 10 or 15 years ago when I was refereeing. And now it's it's a guard and a big man's game instead of just one or the each team having one or the other to be successful. That coming from Brian Kersey, ACC men's basketball coordinator of officiating finally for you brian i know like you said at the end of this year right around uh, right around new year's eve-ish time we're going into the acc play for everybody like you said half the league is going to start losing once things start coming up what are some of the rules some of the things that are in place that you feel may be front and center what are some of the things that you kind of prepare yourself for because obviously you watch trends and you look at rules that have been put up for you know some interpretation by many and whatnot is there anything that's on the horizon that you kind of say okay you know this is something that may come into play or these new rules we have to make sure that we get them right what's what's something on your mind when we start to get into the thick of things of the ACC I think the freedom of movement is going to be the biggest thing um and the rebounding of these big guys because the game has to open up. We've done a good job. The officials have done a good job of, of stopping people from chucking cutters, but you know, the speed picks up during league play, you know, the speed of the game, the, the, the players cut harder and faster. And, you know, if, if you watch the Syracuse Georgetown game and watch them cut, it was a different speed than, you know, early, earlier games that both of the teams played. And I think that's what our guys have to be ready for come December the 30th, it, it's going to pick up. The The Duke-Boston College game was played at a different speed. And I think if, if we pick that up and make sure that these guys can run through the lane and make sure the big guys can make their moves without getting ridden, you know, off of the post, you know, I think our guys are going to be ready for that. And, and they just have to know that once it goes up, it's game on. You know, ACC Conference League basketball is, is from – opening tip to the final horn always has been always will be and as soon as you know some games you can kind of work your way into league games you can't work your way into so our guys have to be mentally prepared that once it goes up you know from 1959 on uh, the first half it's going to be play hard that coming from brian kersey brian as always it is a pleasure i know that you and i'll be talking as we get into the thick of things my hope for you is that you get more phone calls from me than from coaches that would be great. I'll, charge, I'll make sure my phone is charged just in case, though. <laughs> All right. Well, Thank take you care of yourself. Much. Thanks, Brian. That coming from Brian Kersey, coordinator of ACC men's basketball, officiating here on the broadcast today, enlightening us. And what a great segue. How, I mean, and this is, I mean, how, how easy was that to go from the Jesse James catch, no catch? Is it a catch? Is it not a catch? Speaking on the officials to speaking with a former official who's now the coordinator of officials. But like he said, he likes where he's at right now. He likes the fact that he doesn't have to be out there on a field somewhere, that he's he's got to take care of the court, and that's it. So I put up the question right now, 
on Twitter and Facebook. I want you to weigh in on this. Is this a catch? Reply with your thoughts. And I have the Jesse James, what I consider to be a catch, but you know, I, I'm not going to put that in the in the poll because I want you to I want you to to answer this honestly. So I want you to take the time to answer this. So I didn't put any of of my thoughts in here. You you know how I feel about this. You know where I stand. But I want to know from you. And there's a picture of it where he clearly looks like he caught the ball to me. But I want to know your thoughts. Is this a catch? Reply with your thoughts on Facebook at Wake Up Call DT and on Twitter at Call DT. That's C A L L D T. Reply with your take. Is this a catch by the lyrical Jesse James? So we'll take a step aside here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. When we come back from this fast break and these great partners in Central and Upstate New York, we're going to get into Syracuse for an hour. Syracuse basketball, breaking down each and every single one of the players through 10 games, all eight of the players and how I see them as a team so far. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Hey, Wake Up Call listeners, this is Tom Taylor, owner of Sammy Malone's, located at 2 Oswego Street in Baldwinsville, New York, overlooking the beautiful Seneca River. We proudly open our doors to you seven days a week, beginning at 11 a.m. daily, with free parking. Whether it's game day, after work drinks, or a meal with family and friends, we are honored that you come visit us. Call 315-635-5407 for parties and catering. I'll see you at Sammy Malone's, home of the best sandwich in Beeville. Hi, this is Domenico Vitali, owner of Giovanni's Formalwear, where you look great and feel even better with our renowned tailoring and alteration services on any suit or any tuxedo from anywhere. Call 315-455-8729. That's 315-455-8729. Stop in locally on Route 11 in North Syracuse next to the Ponderosa Plaza where you can choose your style, get fitted, and tailored, all at Giovanni's Formal Wear. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice from buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. It would be a pity if you don't shop. For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your event, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt here in the morning menu, proudly presented by the Market Dine on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York. In the regional market across from Destiny USA 
It is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you on the broadcast every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. So I thank you for being a part of the show and truly appreciate it. Thank you for spending some time with me here on the broadcast. It is time for me to get into my thoughts on the Syracuse Orange men's basketball team. So we're going to go individual. We're going to break down each of the players and we're going to <clears throat> we're going to take a look at each of these players individually and then the team as a whole. Kind of my takeaways from Syracuse and what I've seen from the team so far. So the discussion on Syracuse officially begins right now and I'm more than happy to have this conversation with you. So for those of you that are listening live, we are going to discuss each and every one of Syracuse's players through 10 games, the eight players that they have on their team. So the Syracuse men's basketball program at this point is nine and one through 10 games, nine and one. The only team they've lost to is Kansas. And even though they lost 76 to 60, I thought that in a neutral court in Miami, I thought that the game wasn't terrible <clears throat> by Syracuse. I don't feel like they got completely annihilated. And I know 16 points, you go, well, Dan, come on. But look at the fact that, that Devontae Graham had seven threes. Take those out of the game, Syracuse wins by five. So I'm not saying that Syracuse got... To me, it's just they didn't get annihilated. They didn't get completely... It's just that gut feeling of, you know, they didn't get completely outdone and, and, and overly matched is what I'm trying to say. You know, this Syracuse team at the beginning of the year, I feel like some people had the mentality that they'd go to that game and lose 70-40. to 40. <clears throat> And that didn't happen in this matchup. So, to see where they were in their only loss of the season. And that's not a bad loss, right? Well, Syracuse, you know, let's say the committee is looking at it. Well, so who did Syracuse lose to? Kansas. Who else have they lost to? Nobody. Kansas and nobody. How does that not show you signs of improvement? Signs of positivity. You know what I mean? So, to me, Syracuse, first and foremost, in their loss to Kansas... It's a young team with four true freshmen, Pascal Chukwu, who barely played last season, Matthew Moyer, who did not play last season because he was redshirted, and Frank Howard, who gave no offense on average for his first two seasons with Syracuse, and Tyus Battle, who was the only returning scorer of the top five scorers on the team. So, yeah, that team lost to Kansas. That's an expect that's that's kind of a, that's an expected, right? That's an expected loss. But to see them defeat Maryland, to see them defeat UConn, to see them play the way that they played on the road at Georgetown, down by double digits in the second half on numerous occasions, and to fight all the way back at some of the fouls that I don't think were called that maybe should have been called underneath for Syracuse. And I'm not saying that because I was born and raised in Syracuse. I'm saying that because I'm watching the game and I'm going, okay, that's probably a foul. In the world that we live in today, you have to watch the game and you have to watch it with, with two screens in your brain, so to speak. The left screen saying, this is what a foul is. And the right screen saying, this is what they may call. Because some officials will call any contact. 
and other officials will let the game be played a little bit, and then other officials are trying to abide by the rules, and yada, 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 yada. I'm not saying that, that, that there's officials that don't care about the rules. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying some are just, this is what the textbook says is a foul, is what I mean. And then other people leave it up to interpretation. Some let them play, some don't. So, I thought that there were some moments... where Syracuse had some fouls that were left out there. And you could do one of two things in that game, okay? You have two choices when the officials aren't necessarily calling the fouls that you hope that they're calling. And this could be anybody. This is not for Syracuse. It's for anybody. There's two things you can do. You can pout and moan and complain and sit in the corner like a crybaby, or you can fight through it. Syracuse fought through it. They went to the basket. They attacked the basket. Over and over and over again. And they had to muscle their way in against a team who is always physical. Georgetown isn't weak. Georgetown isn't one of those teams that gives you absolutely nothing. So for me, in my opinion, yeah, you know what? Syracuse dogged it out and against the dogs, against the Hoyas. And I think to me, you know, and like I said, we're going to break down each player, but just to take up the game that happened most recently over the weekend, Syracuse showed a lot in this game. They showed a lot of fight. They showed a lot of heart. They showed, showed a lot of determination, desire. They wanted this game. They wanted this game. And how can you not <clears throat> give credit and appreciation to a team that desired the game, wanted the game, and then went and took the game away? They took that game they took that game from Georgetown. They pulled that game away from Georgetown and said, no, you can't have this. On the road. And it's Syracuse's best win of the season, in my opinion. I thought Maryland was. But this Georgetown game, I mean, Maryland could be arguably, because Maryland might turn out a little bit better than Georgetown. But as far as the rivalry goes, that's where more weight comes in with Georgetown and why you can argue Georgetown was the better game because Georgetown is that thorn in the side of Syracuse and Syracuse the thorn in the side of Georgetown. What they do to each other in games like this, I mean, you look at this, they're not in the same conference anymore, yet the rivalry is, I mean, how is this not a heated rivalry? How is this game not an ACC game or a Big East game with both teams. You know what I mean? Because you look at this, you look at this fight, and this is, I mean, this is a game that would be played in February in conference. This is a, this is a January 16th game. And here's Syracuse to Georgetown playing it in early December, mid-December. And credit to both of these teams who made this game interesting. Now, I told you going into the game that Georgetown had not been tested this season like Syracuse had been tested in the sense of who they they played. And again, this is no disrespect to anybody. Uh, what I'm what I'm trying to say to you, other people might just say, these teams are, are crap and yada yada and who cares. That's not what I'm ever going to say because every team that suits up and goes out there deserves the respect to play the damn game and see what they can do. So let me preface it with that. Now, with a Georgetown fan looking at the schedule, there's no Georgetown fan in the right mind who is, not, and I'm not talking about a fan who's a fan, who's crazy, who just thinks they're going to win every single game and they're going to beat Villanova by 40. I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying any fan that looks at the schedule says Jacksonville, Mount St. Mary, Maryland, Eastern Shore, Richmond, Maine, Coppin State, Howard, NC, A&T. Yeah, okay. You don't even know that some of these teams existed. I guarantee you somebody lived in Washington, D.C. that's a Georgetown fan that didn't know about NC, A&T, didn't know about Coppin State, or Maryland Eastern Shore, who feels like they just became a team yesterday, okay? And not by the way they play, just, I mean, I knew one Maryland my whole life. That was the Terrapins. I Maryland Eastern Shore, I am not familiar, no. So... Anybody in their right mind would have said Georgetown's going to go 8 0. So, the, to me, they hadn't been tested like Syracuse. Syracuse, who was playing the Big Ten in the Big Ten ACC Challenge up against Maryland. Syracuse, who went to Miami to face Kansas. Syracuse, who went to the Garden to face UConn the, of the American. These are games that could be tournament games. I don't venture to say that Georgetown is ever going to see. Jacksonville, Mount St. Mary's, Maryland Eastern Shore, Maine, Coppin State, Howard, NCAA, none of these teams in the tournament. Maybe Richmond. But none of these other teams in the tournament anytime soon. Whereas Syracuse could see Maryland. Syracuse could see UConn. Syracuse could very well see Kansas somewhere in the road of things. How's Kansas not going to make 68? So battle tested, I thought Syracuse had more. But I I warned you, I said, even though Syracuse on paper looks like they were battle-tested more, the reality of it all is that it's Georgetown. The reality of it all is that this rivalry, even though the players change from season to season, a rivalry is a rivalry is a rivalry is a rivalry. And if you do any research or you grew up in it or you lived a part of it, you know, you know You know that this game is going to be exciting. Very rarely will you ever see Syracuse-Georgetown just be completely debilitating to one of the teams. They go into the game, somebody gets completely annihilated, it's a total embarrassment, and everybody goes home saying, why did I buy those tickets? You don't see those things. They don't happen. Okay, that's not a normalcy in the sports world and in sports history. The normalcy is that Georgetown and Syracuse are a pain in each other's sides. So even though I think Syracuse is more battle-tested than Georgetown going into this game, it doesn't, it doesn't change the reality that the game was going to be good because it's Syracuse and Georgetown. And it's almost like you're carrying... This is a different game. You're carrying a mantle. You're carrying a torch. In my opinion, this is, that's what you're doing. You're holding a torch for somebody, right? In my opinion, that's that's what this game becomes. It becomes a torch bearer. You know, you are responsible for carrying the history. You don't want to be the team that lost by 60, that lost by 20, that lost by whatever. You want to be the team that made this game interesting, that made it fun, and they got to say that they beat Syracuse or they beat Georgetown. That's what this rivalry has become. This is what people's expectations are. We don't play this game just for fun. This game is reality, and it's rooted in deep, utter <laughs> utter dislike for one another. A severe dislike for one another. And that's what makes it fun. That's what makes this game exciting all the time, is that we have an opportunity to see this. And this game should happen forever. It should happen forever. And, and in all honesty... No matter how many tough games that Syracuse plays, this game needs to happen forever. 
I don't think any Syracuse fan is going to deny me this, that this game has to happen always and forever. Why? Because it does. Because without this game, who are we? Without this game, what is Syracuse? What is Georgetown? If you don't have this much fun together. To me, this is everything. This game means more to people. The thing is, no matter what happens in the season, yes, people want to see Syracuse win this and win that and do this and do that. They want to see that happen. I understand that. People want to see Syracuse go to the tournament, go to the Sweet 16, the Final Four, win a championship, go through the ACC tournament, yada, 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 yada. But at the end of the day, people want to see Syracuse beat Georgetown. And if Syracuse beats Georgetown, if Syracuse beats Duke, then people find a way to be okay, right? Syracuse went to the NIT last year and some people were frustrated. A lot of people were frustrated. But they can turn around and say, at least at least we beat Duke. That's what fans were saying. At least we beat Duke. At least we took Duke down. Because it makes people happy. It gives people something to be proud of and something to be excited about. So this game is a huge game no matter how you slice it. No matter how you slice this orange, this game was fun. And Syracuse stands at the top of things. And this, to me, shows the team. Seeing Syracuse come back and win this game... It says a lot about where Syracuse is heading, in my opinion. I think right now, at this point... If the wheels stay on the wagon, we're looking at a tournament team. I think we're looking at an NCAA tournament team. I really do. You know, I know that they still have to run the run the gamut. They have a lot of work to be done. They have a lot of teams to play. I understand that. They they have Virginia Tech coming up as their first game inside of the ACC, which will be played on New Year's Eve on December 31st at 6 p.m. Eastern Time at the Carrier Dome. I know that they have two games against a Wake Forest team that's gotten better under Danny Manning. I know that they have Notre Dame that'll be coming into the building, who is ranked in the top 25. I know that they have Virginia twice, who's ranked in the top 25. I know they have Florida State, who's ranked in the top 25, that they'll play on the road. I know Pittsburgh, obviously, is a big-time rival that they have twice, twice in three-game span. They have Pitt at home at the Carrier Dome. So they have they have Pitt coming to visit them. Then they play Boston College. Then they go to Pitt. They got Boston College twice who beat Duke this season. They have Louisville. They have NC State. They have Miami, who's in the top six in the country right now. North Carolina, who's in the top seven in the country right now. Duke, who's in the top four in the country right now. And then they play Clemson to end out the season. So this is not going to be an easy gamut to run. However, this team to me has shown me something. And I wonder if they've shown you something too. They've shown me a desire. They've shown me heart. They've shown me want. They've shown me a need to not wait until the next game, to not wait until the next opportunity, to not just see what happens here and then see how they go. They have shown me a desire to win and win now. No game is over. They've shown me more fight than I saw out of the team last year. And I like Andrew White, and I like John Gillett. I like Tyler Lydon, I like Broby, I like Daywan Coleman. This team showed me shows me more fights than I saw out of Syracuse last year. 
the desire to come back, to fend off Iona in a game that they win by nine in the second game of the season. To hold a Toledo team that was scoring 86 points a game to 64 points. 22 points under their season average to beat them. To fend off Maryland 72-70 to in a game that was very, very exciting. And every time somebody scored, somebody had an answer. And Syracuse did what they needed to do at the end of the game, despite the fact that they played up against Kevin Herter, who had seven threes out of nine tries. To play Kansas the way that they played them. And then to lose to Kansas and have their immediate response say, okay, you know what? Losing sucks. We tasted it. It tastes bad. I don't want it in my mouth anymore. So they play UConn and beat them, play Colgate and beat them, go to Georgetown and beat them on the road in overtime. In their only true road game of the season, they won. They did something Syracuse football didn't do all year, which is win on the road. So Syracuse took a hold of their first road game and they won. They made a statement. They said, okay, we're down by 10. We're down by 12. We're down by this. We're down by that. We're playing it back. Jesse Govan's a pain in the butt. We recruited him. We didn't get him. He's here now. They're making jump shots. They're playing well inside. They're getting rebounds. They're going to work. They're making it difficult. They're hitting us. No fouls are being called. We got to keep fighting through this. Syracuse fought through that game more than I've seen them fight in a long time. Last season, I did not see a team that would do to Georgetown what Syracuse did this week. Not this early, not at this time in the season. I did not see this happening. And I give a lot of respect and a lot of appreciation for what this Syracuse team has brought to the table. Because if you're not, if you're, if you as a Syracuse fan are not excited, you've got to be crazy. You've got to be beyond something. The, the I don't even know. You're beyond the rings of Saturn, I guess. But this team against Georgetown, <clears throat> they had this they had the fight in them. They didn't get and it wasn't just Tyus Battle playing by himself. That's the thing that means more to me when you're watching these games, when I when you're analyzing teams. It wasn't just Tyus Battle. Yes, he scored 29 points in 45 minutes. Yes, he's the he's him and O'Shea Brissett are the only players who did not sit for a single minute unless there was a timeout. He went 8 for 23, 6 for 11 from three-point, 7 for 7 from the charity stripe. Yes, Tyus Battle was a huge part of this game. Yes, he was. But O'Shea Brissett, who people have... After the game, people were saying O'Shea Brissett is garbage. People after this game were saying O'Shea Brissett is not worthy of this and that and the other. I read something that said, O'Shea Brissett is a bust. He's all hype. The man scored 25 points in 45 minutes. He was 6 of 17 from the field, 4 for 7 from 3 point, 9 for 12 from the charity stripe, 14 rebounds. This man's gotten double-double after double-double after double-double. How can you say with a brain that O'Shea Brissett ain't nothing? How can you make a statement like that that O'Shea Brissett isn't enough right now on this team. And how can you say that Frank Howard isn't something to this team? 19 points, 9 for 18 from the field, 0 for 5 from 3, still 50%. The biggest issue with Frank Howard is reality of a very simple fact. 9 assists in the game, 3 steals. Awesome. 7 turnovers. The team had 16 turnovers. Take away his 7, the team has 9. 
Frank Howard, in almost every single game this season, has been a turnover machine. Machine. Easily. Okay? And I want to take a look at his numbers here in the studio and share these with you to take a look at what he's done. In it. Now, Syracuse is 9-1 and despite him being a turnover machine. Think about where Syracuse can be if Frank Howard held on to that ball a little bit better. Think about where Syracuse would be right now if Frank Howard didn't let that ball go through his hands as much as he has. Just humor me on where Syracuse would be right now. And I'll tell you what he's done so far this season. Because he has been amazing when it comes to scoring the ball, but he has to get better at minimizing his turnovers. He has to get better at minimizing his turnovers. He had one turnover against Cornell, five against Iona, four against Texas Southern, two against Oakland, none against Toledo, four against Maryland, four against Kansas, nine against UConn, five against Colgate, seven against Georgetown. He has had four or more turnovers in all of the last five games that Syracuse has played. He's had four or more turnovers in seven of Syracuse's 10 games. In seven of Syracuse's 10 games this season, he has had four or more turnovers. In 70% of the time, he's turning the ball over four or more times. Nine turnovers against UConn. Seven against Georgetown. Here's the thing, though. Here's the interesting fact. He is committing all of these turnovers... He is using all of these turnovers. Or he's he's having all these turnovers. Yet the team is still winning. Syracuse is playing well despite the turnover factory that is Frank Howard. How many teams can boast that their point guard has nine turnovers, seven turnovers, six turnovers, five turnovers, and they're winning games. Biggest blunder, the biggest issue, the biggest glaring problem on Syracuse's team this season is Frank Howard's turnovers. And the team's nine and one. The team is nine and one despite Frank's blunders. Nine and one. Now, he's a good jump shooter from inside the arc. He's a good player from inside the arc. He's scoring more than he ever has. He's a better offensive player than he's been the last two seasons combined. Three-point-wise, not that great. Three-point-wise, not something to write home about. He's one for 13 in the last three games combined from three-point range. One for 13 in the last three games. Which is not good. By any stretch of the imagination. Four for 25 in the last five. I mean, you look at where he stands this season. He has made 11 threes. He has missed 44. A quarter of the time, he's making his threes. He's 11 for 44. Speaking on Frank Howard from three-point range. 11 of 44. It's exactly 25%. Exactly 
So three-point shooting, if he takes two, three, he he could take anywhere from two to five three-pointers a game. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. If you're a Syracuse fan, be okay with that. Because he could make one or two. So two to five a game. Be okay with that. Two to four a game. Be okay with that. But inside the arc, his play has gotten so much better. Inside the arc, his jump shot has gotten better. Inside the arc, attacking the basket has gotten better. I mean, this is a man who was attacking the basket and reminding me of teams of old. I'm seeing him go to the rim and I'm going, wait a second, that's Frankie Howard. And I respect Frank. I like Frank. I like them all. This is the thing. As a broadcaster, as an impartial sportscaster, my job is to give you the facts. As a human being, I appreciate and love all these people for all the teams that I've ever covered in the history of of everything I've done. I love all these. The over a 1,000 people that have graced the stage of Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, including the Dan Tortora show before that, which is what it was called, I have nothing but love for you. Absolute and positive love for every single one of you. As long as you're out there doing good things in this community, hey, listen, good for you. Because it goes well beyond sports, for me, at least. So I respect the heck out of of them. And respecting the heck out of them, you could be an impartial broadcaster, respect the people that you cover, and be honest, but be honest to a point where you're not beating the hell out of somebody with your words. Nobody's telling Frank something that he doesn't know. I'm not telling him something that he doesn't know. He's got to stop turning the ball over. He knows that. He knows that. He has to be smarter with the ball. But even Bayheim said, listen, he's like, you know, Matthew Moyer, he needed to be in certain places. He wasn't there a couple games ago. So he made that statement. You're looking at the numbers and saying, wow, you know, look at these turnovers from Tyus Battle. Look at these turnovers from Frank Howard. But sometimes it's not on them. Sometimes it is and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. So, some of it's timing. Some of it's just getting down where people are going to be and making sure that the decisions are made at the right times. And that's going to come with time. Again, this is a young team. They're 9-1, and one, but this is a young team. This is a young team. Now, I told you before the Georgetown game that this is a team that should be, in my opinion, the way that they're playing right now, 12-1 and one going into conference play. They should be 12-1. and one. Should be Buffalo, St. Bonnie's, and Eastern Michigan be 12-1. and one. But St. Bonnie's, I'm telling you right now, St. Bonnie's is no cakewalk. They're 8-2 and two this season. They're first in the Atlantic 10. The Atlantic 10 is a pain in, in, in the behind, okay? The Atlantic 10 has VCU. They have Dayton. They have St. Joe's. They have Davidson. There's some really good teams that kind of squeak through there. George Mason, who had been good in the past. Richmond, who's been good in the past. There's some teams that come through there that are not fun to play. Okay? St. Bonnie's beat Maryland by two. So did Syracuse. St. Bonnie's beat Yale. Yale's 6-6 six and six this year. St. Bonnie's took them down. St. Bonnie's is no cakewalk. None at all, by any stretch of the imagination. They got three guys scoring in double figures. Courtney Stockard, Jalen Adams, and Matt Mobley. Mobley and Adams, almost 18 points a game apiece. 
Their best three-point shooter is Jalen Adams at 47.6%. Isaiah Brockington has also been really good from three-point, 54.5%. He's taken less, but he's been good. I shouldn't say he's taken less. He's taken 22, and Adams has taken 21. My my apologies there. So Adams and Brockington, the best three-point shooters for St. Bonnie's, and you know they're going to they're going to cash in from there as much as they possibly can. And then Mobley and Stockard going to work as well. In 10 games this season, or yeah, in 10 games that they played this season, Ladarian Griffin has played all 10. Mobley's played all 10. Josh Ayeni has played all 10. Isaiah Brockington. Amadi Ispeze has played all 10. Played all 10 and Idris Taki has played all 10. So those are your names to kind of look at for St. Bonnie's. First in the Atlantic 10, though. So it's not going to be a cakewalk. St. Bonnie's, I'm I'm looking forward to St. Bonnie's. I think it might be one of the most exciting games that Syracuse plays in non-conference this season. I really do. I get that vibe. So it's going to be an exciting game for Syracuse. But I told you, if they beat, I said it. I said, if they play the way they've been playing, they've been more battle-tested than Georgetown. They beat If they beat Georgetown, I'm looking at 12-1. and 12-1. And they beat Georgetown. Matthew Moyer's been a part of this thing off and on offensively. Quiet, loud, this, that, and the other. Had 18 points in a game against UConn, but only had in his first in his first seven games, he had 17 points. In his first seven games, he combined for 17 points in seven games and then scored 18 in one game. So Matthew Moyer has obviously gotten better and done some good things there up against UConn, but then he fell off the wagon against Colgate. He only played in eight minutes, had no points, only attempted one shot, and then in 33 minutes against Georgetown, he had six points. But again, you're giving the ball to Frank Howard, you're giving the ball to Tyus Battle, you're giving the ball to O'Shea Brissett. So sometimes, you know, statistically, when you're looking at somebody, things get skewed because of the fact that the reality of it all is that, uh, you know, when you look at the skewing of things and the issues, Matthew Moyer in a game against Georgetown's playing in 33 minutes, but you're giving the ball to Brissett, you're giving the ball to Tyus Battle, you're giving the ball to Frank Howard, so there's not a lot of room for Matthew Moyer to take over. So sometimes when you take a back seat, your statistics look a certain way. We'll take a step aside and we'll be back with a fast break, continuing with individual coverage of the Syracuse players and the team as a whole through 10 games in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Utica Pizza Company spells family. Your family, my family, their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu. We'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens, they're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Gear up with the real deal at Dreisig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, 
outfit yourself at drysigapparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands. With Fan Hands, the ultimate sports fan accessory, find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on FanHands.com, where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear Fan Hands. The Penn & Trophy Center on 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, has been making memories for Central New York for over 60 years. It has the trophies for your teams, and when you walk in there, it's so much more than just that. When you walk into the Penn & Trophy Center, you are immersed in the reality that anything can be customized, anything can be engraved, whether it's for your anniversary, your wedding, your bar mitzvah, your birthday party, whatever you want to do with that memory, that watch from grandpa, or that bracelet from mom, or that wedding ring that's been passed down through your family. If you want to get something engraved with a memory to last a lifetime, the Penn & Trophy Center, 111 East Willow Street in Syracuse, New York, where memories are made and where memories last a lifetime. The name Leeson Staggerwald is synonymous with Central New York with over 80 years of service to the community. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown is your butcher, grocery, pub, and deli located on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Minutes from the Carrier Dome in your perfect pre-gaming headquarters with Rob Drummond and myself, Dan Tortora, two hours before home games. Leeson Staggerwald Downtown, where you can dine in, take out, pre-game up on the hill with their meats or pre-game inside their walls. Lee's and Staggerwald downtown, a unique experience for every single fan and every member of the community with over eight decades of service. They're open Monday from 10.30 a.m. to 3 p.m., Tuesday through Thursday from 10.30 a.m. to 8 p.m., Friday 10.30 a.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday noon to 9 p.m., and closed on Sunday on 117 East Fayette Street in Syracuse, New York. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT inside of the morning menu. Proudly presented by the Market Diner on 2100 Park Street in Syracuse, New York. In the regional market across from Destiny, USA, it is the home of the Dan Tortora special. Belgian waffle cut in half, filled with a bacon, egg, and cheese omelet. It is my spin on the breakfast sandwich available to you every single day of the week. So go out and get yourself the Dan Tortora special. You can get it Monday through Saturday for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and on Sundays up until 2.30 because they close early on Sunday. So make sure you pop in there and get yourself the Dan Tortora special at the Market Diner exclusively. And thank you to the Market Diner for all the work that they do. Continuing here with the conversation on Syracuse men's basketball, looking at each player individually, like I said with Matthew Moyer, we know that he can score. We know he can do some good things, okay? We know that he can attack the basket and bring some pain when it comes to those signature dunks at the most opportune time. 
He did that in in a game against Toledo. He did that against UConn, and he had him, you know, and and he was obviously there in this game with Georgetown. Played in 33 minutes of the game of the 45 minutes that were allotted. So Albany, this is the irony. He played in eight minutes the game before against Colgate, and then he played in 33 of 45 minutes the next game. So you look at how much, and that was including overtime regulation just by itself. He played in all but seven minutes of regulation when you look at it that way. So, you know, Matthew Moyer playing in 33 minutes in this game, not a big-time scorer, had six points in the game, but he had 11 rebounds, 11 rebounds, 10 rebounds against Cornell, five against Iona, two Texas against Texas Southern, three against Oakland, seven against Toledo, none against Maryland, one against Kansas. That's where he's got to get better. Eight against UConn, 11 against Georgetown, one against Colgate. So he's had his moments in rebounding the ball. He has four games this season where he has seven or seven rebounds or more. But look at the games where he went quiet. I mean, Colgate, obviously, he went quiet in that game. But look at the games where he went quiet. Between Maryland and Kansas, between a combined 26 minutes, he had one rebound. So the teams that you ex- expect to be out there from the big conferences, more physical, this, that, and the other, he has to play better against that talent. He has to play better against that. He has to. Because grabbing a bunch of boards against Toledo is great, but Kansas is the team you're going to see in the tournament. More often than not. Now, 11 against Georgetown, that was his best performance. So he's been an enigma. He's had some good moments, some not-so-good moments, but think about if he could put together a game like he did with UConn, have 18 points, but then take the Georgetown rebounds, have 18 and 11 be seven for nine from the field, need more consistency from him inside. But again, in this game, when you're looking to O'Shea and Frank and Tyus, you're not getting the ball to Matthew Moyer underneath as much. Speaking of underneath, Pascal Chukwu, how he's done so far this season, well, he's scored in every game that he's played in. He's scored in every single game that he's played. Whether it's two points, six points, 12 points, he's scored at least six points, at least six points, in five games this season of their 10. 50% of the time, Pascal scored at least six points, which for a 7-2 center, six points is good stuff. For Tyus Battle, six points is nothing. For Pascal at 7-2, six points is good. He's had three games where he's had nine or more rebounds, 11 against Oakland, 10 against Iona, nine against Colgate, but again, Against the better teams, what has he done? He had seven against Kansas. That's respectable. Seven against Kansas is respectable. I told you, with Jesse Govan underneath, Pascal and Brahma might have some trouble. He only had three rebounds against Georgetown in 24 minutes. That has to change. That has to definitely change. He had eight blocks against Oakland. That's his best block output of the season so far through 10 games. He's had three or more blocks in 50% of the games. Three or more blocks in 50% of the games so far this season. He has three blocks against Georgetown, four against Colgate, and he had eight against Oakland and three against Iona, three against Cornell. He's had steals, but he fouled out of 
three games this season, and two of the last three games he fouled out. He fouled out against UConn, and he fouled out against Georgetown. He has to be careful of that. He's seven foot two, so when his arm comes down, he has a lot bigger of an area with his arm. As that arm is coming down, he has the opportunity to be called for a foul a lot more than other people, I would venture to say and venture to exclaim, is that he, you know, when you when it comes down to fouls, you're going to see Pascal a lot easier. Like they said, the taller you are, the easier you see the foul. Because you can't have your hands come down on somebody. That's a foul, right? You got your hands up. It's not a foul. Shouldn't be a foul. Got your hands up, standing, hands up, playing defense. As soon as your hand starts to come down, they call that foul on you. Well, Pascal Chukwu, with his long arms coming down, yeah, there's a good chance that somebody's going to see something on the way. He's just got to be careful. He's got to be careful. He attacks, which is reputable. He just has to be careful because he's been fouling out. And on a play on a team that only has eight players and two centers, and he's one of them, you got to be smart. And thinking about the fact that not only are there two centers, but there's one center that's playing at 100%, and there's another center who's not. Barama Sidibe did not play against Colgate. He only played 10 minutes against UConn. He played 11 minutes against Georgetown. And he had four fouls himself in 11 minutes. You cannot do that. Four fouls in 11 minutes. That's a foul every, like, 37 seconds. What is that? Oh, no, that's not correct. That's not correct. It's a foul every about 2.7 minutes. Every two minutes is a foul. Every almost three minutes is a foul. That's correct. So, in less than three minutes' time, committing a foul. Foul. Boom. Two... Minutes and 13 seconds, foul. Two minutes and 50 seconds, foul. Barama Sidibe has to be careful of this. Excuse my math this morning. It is a Monday. But but four fouls in 11 minutes, and, and, and Pascal had already fouled out. Thank God for Marek Dolezal. That's all I'm going to say. But this is a big glaring issue for Syracuse because hands down, they haven't had a center in a long time. Now, Rakeem Christmas transitioned himself into being a center and did some good things as a center, but a true center, Syracuse has not had a good one in a long time. They had some good moments, and we always wonder, so many people wonder what could have been if he had, if uh, Fab Mello had number one stuck around and stayed eligible and whatnot, bless him in heaven. There's always that question about what could have been with Syracuse. But outside of Fab Mello, name name another center in recent history, in a decade's worth of time, that you can sit here and go, yeah, they were great. They were wonderful. There's none. This is the first time in a long time that Syracuse has A, a true center, B, two of them. But they have to stay out of foul trouble. Nine fouls committed between the two of them. And Barama, four fouls in 11 minutes. But he's been a shell of himself 
with this injury, and, and Beheim speaking on his knee, he had two points against Kansas, two points against UConn, didn't play against Colgate, had no points against Georgetown, only attempted one shot. And when you talk about knees and feet and this, that, and the other, I mean, this is a guy who jumps and gets after it. Five blocks against Maryland, five blocks against Toledo, four blocks against Texas Southern, three against Cornell. Or pardon me. Pardon me, I'm looking in the wrong place. Two blocks against Cornell, two against Iona, two against Maryland. But then he had no blocks against Kansas, none against UConn, none against Georgetown. None. He has not blocked a shot since November 27th. It's been almost a full month since Barama Sidibe has blocked a shot. But again, if your knee's not 100%, how are you going to jump right? If your feet don't feel right, how are you going to jump right? How are you going to attack when you can't have that spring in your step that you need? So Barama, got to get better here. Got to get better here. Got to get better, but he's got to get healthy first. It's one thing if he was a full go and he's been playing this bad, but he hasn't been fully with it. He's got to he's got to heal up and then go from there. O'Shea Brissett, like I said before, to the to the to the no mind people that think O'Shea Brissett has been nothing to this team. Five double doubles. In 10 games. 50% of the time he has a double-double. Double-double against Cornell. Rebounds and points. Double-double against Toledo. Double-double against Maryland. One shy of a double-double against number two Kansas at the time. Double-double against UConn. Double-double against Georgetown. His most rebounds and most points that he had. He tied his most rebounds. Scored his most points against Georgetown. 25 points, 14 rebounds. Which tied the 14 rebounds against Toledo. He's coming off of his best game. In totals of points and rebounds. And yet people have a massive critique of him. How about this? He played in all 45 minutes, committed one foul against Georgetown. Played in all 40 minutes against Colgate, committed one foul. Played in 38 minutes against UConn, three fouls. Two against Kansas in all 40 minutes. One against Maryland in all 40 minutes. Now, some could say it's because he needs to attack more on defense. And some could say he's smart. I think we lie somewhere in between. Because he has blocked shots and he has attacked. But it'd be nice to see him attack a little bit more on defense. Get his hands up in the lanes a little bit more. But for a true freshman, I think people need to lay off Entias Battle. And show respect where respect is due. Howard Washington, he hasn't played too much. Howard Washington Jr., He played 10 minutes against Cornell, 6 against Texas Southern, 4 against Oakland, 8 against Kansas, 1 against UConn, 5 against Colgate, 1 against Georgetown. Didn't play against Toledo, Maryland, or Iona. And not because he's injured. Bayheim's just been sitting him. And I thought with the absence of Geno Thorpe that we would see at least 10 or 11 minutes from Howard Washington. Bayheim's been able to get away without it. 8 minutes or less in the last 4 games. He's only scored four points in four games. He's only taken four shots in four games. One for four in four games. That's it. He's one for three from three-point range. One for two from the charity stripe. 
hasn't committed any turnovers, and has three rebounds in four games. Very quiet. Very quiet. We haven't seen anything out of Howard Washington Jr. Anything. He's been an afterthought. And the hope for every Syracuse fan is that when he's finally, not an afterthought, but a current thought, a here and now thought, that he's going to be able to come through. Because there may come a time when they need him. Now, Frank Howard, we spoke about turnovers. Seven against Georgetown, five against Colgate, nine against UConn, so on and so forth. But look at his shooting ability and what he's been able to do. 19 points against Georgetown on 9 of 18 shooting. 18 points on 6 of 12. That's 50% back-to-back. UConn, he was atrocious. He was 1 of 10. But that's the only game that he's played that way. 6 of 14 against Kansas. 6 of 17 against Maryland. 9 of 20 against Toledo. 7 of 15 against Oakland. 3 of 7 against Texas Southern. 5 of 12 against Iona. 4 of 10 against Cornell. He has been 40% or better from the field in eight of their 10 games this season. He's had one bad shooting night, and that was against UConn. One for 10. One bad shooting night in 10 games. People last year would say Frank Howard would have 10 out of 10. Oh, they played 10 games, and he had 10 bad shooting nights. I don't even have to look at the stats, Dan. Oh, they played 20 games? He, he had probably 17 bad shooting nights. That's how people thought of Frank Howard. He was an afterthought himself. Look at what he's done offensively. Yes, he needs to stop turning the ball over, but look at what he has done offensively. And even though he scores 19 points and takes 18 shots against Georgetown, he has nine assists. So, yeah, he's taken a lot of shots. He's taken shots like Tyus Battle. 20 shots in a game, 17 in a game, 18 in a game. It's a lot of shots for Frank Howard. But what has he done? In the game, he took 17 shots. He had 15 points, 10 assists. Against Kansas, and he had he took 14 shots. Had 15 points, 7 assists. Against UConn, he had 5 points. He had 5 assists. 18 points and 6 assists in the game against Colgate where he took 12 shots. And when he took 18 shots and had 19 points that came off of it, he had 9 assists. So for Frank Howard... To say, well, Frank's shooting now, so who's our true point guard? He's still your true point guard. He is finding people and scoring the ball himself. Frank, If you take out turnovers by Frank Howard, look at his numbers. If I took out his, if, if we took out his turnovers, okay? If I look at Frank Howard without turnovers, I'm just doing this. I understand that this is a hypothetical because he has his turnovers. Just follow me for argument's sake down this rabbit hole, okay? Just follow me for a second down this rabbit hole. Frank Howard, this season, just follow me, as compared to other seasons, 2015-16, 1.6 points per game. 1.8 assists per game. 2016-17, 4.5 points per game. 3.6 assists. 2017-18, 15.1 points a game, 6.3 assists. Who would have thought that Frank Howard was going to be the guy this year? Not you. People thought Tyus Battle, and I hope to Jesus somebody else. I hope O'Shea Brissett. I hope somebody else steps up, Dan. Frank Howard was not on people's minds to be the guy with 15 points, to jump 11 points per game almost. 
to go from four and a half points per game to 15.1 points per game, to go from 3.6 assists to 6.3 assists. He has gone so far up. So take his turnovers out of the game. Take his turnovers out. Let's pretend that he's not a turnover machine, okay? Let's just take that out. I'm going to give you a stat line. 35.9 minutes a game out of 40 minutes. 41.5% field goal percentage. 75.7% at the charity stripe. Almost four rebounds a game, six assists per game, two steals a game, two and a half personal fouls a game, and 15 points a game. That is a stat line that could rival with any point guard in the country. One of the top 10 point guards, top 15 point guards in the country. The glaring issue is 4.2 turnovers a game. He accounts for a third of Syracuse's turnovers per game. A third. Take it out, and the other seven people account for the rest of them. If there's 12 turnovers in a game, take Frank's turnovers out of the game. Seven players account for eight turnovers. Seven players. That's that's about a turnover apiece. One person's going to have two. Everybody else has one. One turnover apiece. You couldn't ask for a better team. Frank Howard minimizing his turnovers. Frank Howard protecting the ball better. Frank Howard getting his timing down with Matthew Moyer and so on and so forth. This team changes from a team that's 9-1 and one to a team that's 9-1 and one that is a bigger pain in the behind. They're 9-1 and one despite his turnovers. Despite his turnovers. If that isn't an amazing, amazing stat line in reality, I don't know what is. Syracuse is 9-1 and one despite the fact that, th- that Frank Howard accounts for a third of the turnovers. But you look at his numbers, 15 points a game. Nobody in their right mind would have told me that Frank Howard was going to have 15 points a game this season. And I know they haven't played in the ACC yet. I know they haven't played in the ACC yet, but Frank Howard still going to work. And the thing is, so Dan, he's scoring more, which means he's not looking for other people. Absolute false. Absolute false. Six assists per game. Absolute false. Two steals a game, 2.2. He's got great numbers. Sands, his turnovers. Great numbers. Speaking of great numbers, Tyus Battle, we're going to get into after the break here and then have an overall look at the team in just a moment after this fast break. This is a wake-up call fast break. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. Hi. 
This is Kira from Looking Glass Events, where we're always giving you a reason to celebrate. Whether you have a small business, large business, personal event, or a wedding, we are available to plan and coordinate your dream event to life. Every detail, every step, Looking Glass Events is working with you all the way. Call us at 315-702-4653. That's 315-702-4653. Or contact us through our website, lgweddingsandevents.com. Looking Glass Events giving you a reason to celebrate. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Hope you're having a good day and hope you're enjoying yourself. Some of you have given your thoughts in my question, is this a catch? Reply with your take. Colin said, according to the rule, no. According to common sense, yes. I think they should change a football move to include reaching out for a touchdown slash first down and then uh, Mike Sofka who does the fantasy football with me all the time on Fridays he <clears throat> took the excerpt from Mike Pereira who said look here's the rule if you're going to the ground you have to hold on to the ball when the ball hits when the ball hits the ground going to the ground trumps lunging reaching to try and get extra yardage or score a touchdown you do that at your own risk it's incomplete just ask Des that was kind of messed up that he put dot 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 just ask Des that was like a little dig back at that Green Bay Packers playoff game. So Mike says, you know, based on the rule, no catch. Uh, Ross said the NFL rule is no catch, but that rule is messed up and it should be a touchdown. The rules need to be changed. So two of you said, hey, listen, this is what the rule says. However, I don't agree with it. And then Mike said, listen, brass tacks, a rule is a rule is a rule. And whether you like the rule or not, it's a rule. So what are you going to do? I'm saying to you in, in the normal play of things, in the run of play, it looks like a touchdown. It looks like a touchdown. He crosses the goal line. And I said to you, and I brought up argument's sake of if you're a running back, it's a touchdown. If you're a receiver, you have to do more. And I think that that's BS. It's it's almost being, you're being penalized for being a receiver as opposed to being a running back. If that's a running back. It's a fumble in the end zone that you recover for a touchdown. Simple as that. Strange. But I look forward to your continued responses to these polls, and I appreciate you getting back in touch with me about that on Facebook at Wake Up Call DT and on Twitter at Call DT. That's C A L L D T. Tyus Battle, his numbers, he's been pretty good. You know, he's been all right. He doesn't suck. I'm kidding. Tyus Battle. <laughs> Some people are like, Danny, you're serious? Oh my God. You, just, you think he sucks? No, I don't think that, folks. I think Tyus Battle is the one consistent. He's a. He was supposed to be a bunch of things for Syracuse, and he's been that. He was supposed to be the guy that could lean on to score the ball, and he's been that. 18 points in 28 minutes against Cornell, 28 points in 35 minutes against Iona, 21 points in 26 minutes against Texas Southern, 25 points in 38 minutes against Oakland. In the Toledo game, he gets hurt, so 8 points in 29 minutes. 18 points in 37 minutes coming back from that. 22 and 40 against Kansas, 22 and 40 against UConn, 24 and 40 against Colgate, 29 and 45 against Georgetown. He has stolen the ball in eight out of 10 games for the team this season. He has not fouled out of a single game this season. And he's had three out of 10 games with four more turnovers. Or three or more turnovers, I should say. Pardon me. Only Oakland, Georgetown, and UConn has he had three or more. 
against Colgate, he had one. Kansas, two. Maryland, two. Toledo, one. Texas Southern, Iona, none. Cornell, one. So he's minimizing his turnovers, which is huge. From three-point range, he was 54.5% against Georgetown, 6 for 11. He was 50% against Texas Southern, 40% against Cornell. 66.7% against Oakland, 40% against Maryland, 44% against Colgate. Not too shabby from distance. His field goal percentage, 57.9%, 60%, 52.5%, 50%, 44%, 44%, 34.8%, 35%. His worst day was against Toledo, the day he got hurt, 28.6%. He was 0 for 4 from 3 in that game. So he hasn't fouled out of games. He had five steals against UConn, which was huge. It'd be nice to see him grab some more steals. He had none against Colgate, none against Georgetown. But he was able to do a bunch before that. Steals in 8 out of 10 games, as I said. So his turnovers haven't been bad. His steals have been good. His rebounds, he's grabbing a few, which you expect out of a shooting guard. He's getting five, two, three. Not bad. He's grabbing a few. It's not like he's doing none. It's not like he doesn't care about the boards. He's played in the entire regulation and overtime in all of the last four games. 40, 40, 40, 45. He was 7 of 20, 8 of 18, 8 of 18, 8 for 23. So Tyus Battle this season, the one thing that almost every Syracuse fan knew is that this man has to be a scorer for Syracuse. This man has to be somebody that offensively comes to play every single game. And I will tell you that he is not, by any stretch of the imagination, disappointed at all. He has come to play every single game. And he has been a huge piece. A huge piece. A huge piece of Syracuse's success. He was supposed to be the leader. The guy that they could turn to in a moment of need. Offensively. There's no way that you can argue he hasn't been that. <laughs> the one game that he was quiet was the game that he hurt his hip. He's never had a game where he's a full go and he was just not good. It says a lot when a true sophomore, after being a freshman last year, and having Tyler Roberson and Tyler Lyon, all these people on the... Andrew White, the third shooting, Tyler Lydon shooting, John Killen, the third shoot, all these shooters. And then to say to him this year, there were five shooters. Now there's you. So you have to make up for what we've lost. Well, darn it if he hasn't. Look to what he has done. As a true sophomore, he was one of five shooters last season. One of five. And then they handed him the ball and said, go to work. And he said, okay. Simple as that. He makes it look easy. Now, Marek Dolezal, speaking of making it look easy, his stat sheet doesn't adequately show all the things that he does. It doesn't. It really, honestly, it doesn't. It'll show his rebounds. Six against Cornell, six against Iona, nine against Texas Southern, 
Eight against Oakland, five against Toledo, seven against Maryland, five against Kansas, one against UConn. That was his worst game. Six against Colgate, eight against Georgetown. In nine out of ten games this season, he's had five or more rebounds. In nine out of ten games as a true freshman from Slovakia. The man who doesn't have the muscle to grab rebounds. The man who's not strong enough, who is too weak and looks like a pencil, right? That's what people say, some people. Eight rebounds against the most physical team they played this year besides a Kansas team. Georgetown is always physical. Eight rebounds against Georgetown. Eight. Ten points twice this season. Eight point or eight points once this season. He scored in seven out of ten games this season. He's filled in when Barama's had foul trouble and Pascal's had foul trouble and when Barama wasn't playing. So he's been your forward. He's been your center. And the other stuff that doesn't show up on the sheet. Yeah, his rebounds look good. Yeah, his point totals look good because this is a guy who I thought, depending on how some people play and if Gino had stayed, maybe they redshirt Marek. And they don't. Look at what he's done for this team. He is the Christoph Anginat that scores. Christoph Anginat used to do all these. He used to throw his body on the court all over the place. Never got the credit that he deserved. And I'll never forget being at one of the games and watching him like jump and slide across the ground, slide on the court out of bounds, holding on to the ball. Just sliding, going after the ball as he's like flying out of bounds. The difference between him and Marek, Marek scores. Marek attacks. And he's successful underneath. And he is he is just a fiend for those rebounds. If he misses a shot, somebody misses a shot, he goes and gets a rebound. They miss, then he misses, he gets it again, and then he gets it again. And then he's just going after it like crazy. This man has a knack for the ball. He's a magnet to the ball. And Beheim's seeing that. Beheim is seeing that. Look at the amount of minutes that Marek is playing this season as a true freshman from overseas, from Slovakia. Look at his minutes. 24 and a half minutes per game, so more than half the game. More than half the game he's out there. Averaging six rebounds a game, two assists per game, almost a block per game, a steal per game, and only one and a half turnovers a game. Not a bad deal for a man coming off a very short bench for Syracuse. Marek is, seriously, to me, he's a huge catalyst. He's a huge piece of this team and how this team ticks. Because of the fact that when that ball goes up, he wants it. So whether he gets the rebound or somebody else, he is fighting to help his teammates out. And you can never understate the utility player. He is the player like Batman's utility belt that has so many things on it. That's Marek. That's Marek. He understands how to play the sport of basketball. And overseas, I've never been overseas and seen it, but what I've taken away from it is, to me, it feels like when you're playing overseas ball, you are, you're trained at 18 years old to be like you're a professional and that you're 25. It's, you're whipped into shape a lot quicker, in my opinion. Or else they, these guys wouldn't get drafted into the NBA without ever playing over here. 
11 players, 13 players, 10 players drafted overseas. There's only 60 spots in the NBA draft. There's only 60 spots. And there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of players in the country already in Division 1, 2, 3, JUCO. And they say, no, we want the guy from Slovakia, Croatia, Spain, Italy, Germany. Why? Because they're good. Marek is, is a huge piece of what Syracuse is doing. So statistically, yeah, there's some things that look nice. I named them off to you. But there's there's just the overall effort that he gives and the tenacity that he gives that's not going to show up on a stat sheet that you have to watch the game to see. And if you've watched any of the games, you can't sit here and say that he hasn't shown you a level of desire that is reputable. And that's been huge. As a whole, the team has surprised me. As a whole, I will admit to you, this team has surprised me. They've done more. I didn't think this team was going to be 9-1 and at this juncture. But I told you if they got to 9-1, and playing Georgetown, knowing that they were battle-tested more than Georgetown, that I saw this team going 12-1. and I said that to you last week. And I see them going 12-1 and still. It's going to be very interesting in the ACC with a Boston College team that won two games last year in the ACC and has already defeated Duke and gets one more win and they have their total from last year. So Boston College has gotten better. Miami with Jim Laranaga, they're more of a force than I think they're given credit for, yet at this point they're 9-0 and they're ranked sixth in the country. So they're finally starting to get some of that credit, which I thought was coming last year. North Carolina is North Carolina. Clemson is 9-1 this year. Florida State's 9-1 this year. Virginia was supposed to struggle losing three guys to transfers and having all these newbies come in. They're 9-1 this year. Virginia Tech's 9-2. I told you they would improve. Louisville is doing well without Rick Pitino. They're 8-2. NC State's 8-3 after going through everything they went through with Godfrey last year. Notre Dame is 8-3 with Mike Bray. Wake Forest is on the winning side of things at 6-4. Everybody in the league has a winning record at this point in the season. There is not one out of 15 teams in the ACC that has a losing record at this point in the season. Whether they're 5-4, and 6-5, and 11-1, 9-1, whatever it may be, no one inside of the ACC at this juncture on Monday, December 18th has a losing record. And that says something. Okay? I'm going to go through the conferences just to prove this to you. The American East has at least one team with a losing record. The American Athletic has one team with a losing record. The Atlantic 10 has a team with a losing record. The Atlantic Sun has a team with a losing record. The Big 12 does not. The Big East does not. The Big Sky does. The Big South does. The Big 10 does in Wisconsin, believe it or not. The Big West does. The Colonial Athletic Association does. Conference USA does. The Horizon League does. The Ivy League does. The MAC, the MAAC, the Mid-American has teams that are at 500 right now. The MEAC has teams with losing records. The Missouri Valley has teams with losing records. The Mountain West does. The Northeast, Ohio Valley, the Pac-12 in California. The Patriot League, the SEC in Vandy, Southern, the Southland, the SWAC, 
the Summit League, the Sun Belt, the West Coast, and the WAC. That's 33 conferences that have at least one team with a losing record. 33 conferences that have at least one team with a losing record. The ACC has zero. The Big 12 has zero. And the Mid-American has three teams at 500. 36 conferences in Division I men's basketball. 33 of them have at least one team with a losing record. There's only three conferences that don't. And the ACC is one of them. Tell me this isn't going to be an amazing ACC season. And with that, I bid you adieu today. Here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Coming up on tomorrow's broadcast, I will play for you the interviews that I had recently with the Jacksonville Jaguars to share with you what the team feels like in the locker room, this team that is now going into the playoffs and guaranteed a spot at 10-4 and four after being 3-13 and 13 last year. So, from 3-13 and 13 to 10-4, and four, Dougie Marone, who used to be a player at Syracuse and the head coach of Syracuse and was starting to turn Syracuse around, hence why fans got pissed when he left, he has turned around the Jaguars with Tom Coughlin, Nate Hackett and company, and Todd Wash, the defensive coordinator who, thank God, they kept because that defense was not a bad point of the team last season, and they're the number one defense in the country this year. So, with that being said, we're doing Jaguars talk on the prowl to start off tomorrow morning's broadcast, and then... My good friend and sports writer Ross Turetsky from Pennsylvania will be joining me to run the gamut of the NFL in just right after that on the prowl piece. He'll be joining me for the better part of the show. And then at 10.50 a.m. Eastern time, we'll do Ingredients to Success. Proudly brought to you by Utica Pizza Company. Speaking of Ingredients to Success, the Chicken Reggie Pizza, my number one pick for Wake Up Call, is in the window right now at Utica Pizza Company. Get over there and get a slice or a pie today on 628 South Main Street, in North Syracuse, in the Mains Plaza, across from Sweetheart Corners. God bless. Have a great day. Plenty of the NFL tomorrow. Ross Turetsky on the prowl. Jaguars interviews and ingredients to success. Have a great day, and I'll see you tonight. Boys ice hockey with me, five players and the head coach, all joining me for West Genesee Wildcats ice hockey night with the Wildcats at the Wildcats Sports Pub tonight, December 18th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Wildcat Sports Pub, 3680 Milton Avenue in Camillus, New York, in the Home Depot Plaza. We will see you there. God bless and be safe. Have a great day.